All right, today I am, uh, I am praying, I have been praying since early last week, that the Lord would multiply His grace through my weakness this morning so that you would have your soul satisfied by the feast that we have before us in Mark chapter 6 this morning. The feast that reveals the compassion of Christ and the sufficiency of Christ. So if you would turn to, to Mark 6, verse 30 this morning. I'm going to read the text in its entirety here. And I want you to, to listen carefully and just take what you learned last time and apply that as we read through the text. But then prepare your hearts to receive some application from the things that we learned even last time. 6, verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now, many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is late. It's now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. Now if you were here last week, you know that I attempted to point some really important things out about this text. Some historic and prophetic things about this text. And if you really paid attention, you would have seen in that, probably, I hope anyway, the multifaceted brilliance of Jesus in the feeding of the 5,000. It's truly breathtaking when you look at it and understand it in the historic and prophetic context in which it's given here. And as I told you last time, just to kind of bring you up to speed about what I mean by that, I told you last time that this miracle was given to reveal the majesty of Jesus. It's all about Jesus. This miracle is given for that reason, because it reveals to us things about Jesus we would not know otherwise. It reveals to us that Jesus is the greater Moses, who personally leads a greater exodus out of the wilderness. And Mark 6 also reveals that he is the greater Joshua that leads a new Israel built on himself and the twelve foundation stones of the apostles in order to bring them all, bring all his people into the promised land. And it also reveals to us here, as you compare it even with other texts, that Jesus is the great shepherd of Psalm 23. He is the one bringing rest and nourishment to hungry and needy people, even making them lie down in green pastures, feeding them the bread of life himself. 
And it's the bread of life that will only satisfy those who trust in him and look to him and his sacrifice and what he provided for us in his life and his death and his resurrection. So all these things are alluded to, pointed to throughout this text, this very miracle text itself. And so what I want to do with this historic and prophetic backdrop, I want us to then now look at the text itself verse by verse. I'm not going to give you an outline. I'm just going to give you some of my points here, my main point. First point in verses 30 to 34, Mark is showing us the good shepherd's great compassion, the good shepherd's great compassion. Just look at it there again. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves And it says, now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And when he went ashore, he sees the crowd. He saw the crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. The good shepherd's great compassion is shown to us in this section. In verse 30, what do we see? We see the apostles, after they've been sent out on this great missionary endeavor, the first apostolic, if you will, mission, they're returning to Jesus after he had already sent them out under his authority, and and they're going out under his authority proclaiming the gospel, proclaiming that people should repent, and they're casting out demons, and they're anointing many with oil and healing many. They're doing all this according to what Jesus says to multiply his missionary endeavors. They're replicating Christ. They're his ambassadors, but they're particularly his apostles. They're multiplying Jesus' mission. But all of this that they had done in that first apostolic mission was done under his mighty hand, by his authority. That's important to know. All the great things that they came back and told Jesus about, all those things were really the fruit of Jesus' authority that he imparted to them and granted to them to step out under his mighty hand and be led to multiply his work in the world. So these men come back now to tell Jesus all about what had taken place. And, and verse 30 says that. And, and just, just imagine this. Just imagine you're those guys, right? And you've been doing all these things, these, these healings and all these things that have happened. You're coming back and you're returning to Jesus. You're excited about this. But you had to be also exhausted by this. If, if anyone here has ever done any kind of spiritual labor, sharing the gospel, teaching, preaching, discipling someone, you know that it takes great spiritual effort, energy. It takes emotional energy, mental energy. These men are spent, and they come back to Jesus, and the first thing they do is they tell him all that they had done and taught. And I think that's the proper order to that as well. I think they were probably most excited about the healings, the exorcisms, the very physical things that they could see. But they were also excited about the salvations that I'm sure that occurred as a result of this message they proclaimed under Christ's mighty hand. But they were excited. I think that's apparent here. But they're also exhausted. Jesus immediately notices that. And he understands that himself in verse 31. Look at verse 31. Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. Why? Because people wouldn't let them even eat. 
They kept coming to these men. At this point in this stage in the ministry, it had been Jesus doing all this work in the past. Now they were becoming a part of this mission. And they are now having people following them, coming to them, coming in and out among them, even to the point that they can't even eat. And Jesus knows that this is wearisome. And so the words there in verse 31 to his apostles or those disciples, these are very tender words from a very tender Shepherd who cares for these men who are working under his authority. He knew that they needed true rest. They needed the rest that only Jesus could provide them. When I first read this passage and went through the entirety of the text, I thought, man, Jesus, you kind of dropped the ball on the disciples. You told them you're bringing them to rest. And what do you do? You bring them into work. 5,000 people plus women and children. I mean, there's there's 10,000 people probably there. But then I realized, no, he's going to show him what true rest is under his authority as the good shepherd. This labor they were called into was, like I said, it was mentally draining. It was physically draining. It was emotionally draining. It was spiritually draining. But Jesus had compassion on them. And yet he, he says, here's what we're going to do. Verse 32, I'm going to take you out to a desolate place so that you can learn how to truly find rest in your mission under the good shepherd's caring hand. Just like their first work was under his hand. Now he's saying, I'm going to shepherd you under my hand. And a good shepherd, a good shepherd is going to train his sheep. And that's what Jesus does here. And just keep in mind, as we read this and you read John's account of this, you find out that this whole event, all those who are involved and the actions that take place, these are all meant to be a test for the disciples. It's a test that would then teach them something important, a very important lesson about what they're called into in the future. The test that was given to them that is going to show them how they're going to truly find rest in Christ in the midst of great spiritual battles ahead. So Jesus takes them out to teach them how to rest, how to rest in him as they labor in his mission. Look at verse 33. When he went ashore, he saw a crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Now, we get a little insight into the crowd here. What kind of crowd was this? Well, this was a relentless and a restless crowd. It was a crowd that was growing by the moment. It started off fairly large, but then it grew exponentially as they worked their way around the shoreline to where Jesus was going to land. People from all the villages were hearing the news about this possible Messiah who's come. And they're gathering up their friends and their neighbors and even some zealots coming along to to look to this militant Messiah who might redeem us from Rome's tyrant hands, right? So it's, it's a relentless and a restless crowd. And as Jesus is going across the lake, that's what they see. The disciples are in the boat too, right? The disciples are thinking, okay, Jesus, row faster. Make the wind blow to the other side quickly. They're going to beat us there, right? There was a mixed multitude of people coming, and the last things these guys wanted to do is deal with these people. We need rest. In this mixed multitude, you had desperate people, sick people, you had zealous people. You had very many needy people. And the size of this group was growing, as I said, as they worked along the shore. And this whole thing's threatening to mess up their vacation, This is threatening their very rest, they may think. 
But how did Jesus react? I'm just putting myself in the boat with the disciples. I know how I would react, right? I love you guys dearly. But on my vacation, I'm not sure I want you all coming to me with questions and, and, and wanting to know all these theological answers sometimes when I just need a break. I'm just going to be honest, all right? Sometimes we just need that break. And I mean, I'm sure I would answer you. Don't, don't hesitate to ask. It just may take a while to get back to you. But I know how we feel. You guys feel the same way. Sunday afternoon, you're taking your nap, and the pastor shows up at the door. Hey! Just wanted to come visit with you. What do you do? Like, hey, just act like you're asleep, right? You don't want to be disrupted either. But how did Jesus react to this desperate, zealous, and needy group? Well, verse 34 tells us. I love what Mark does here. Mark reveals to us Jesus' reaction to this situation right up front. Notice what he immediately points out first there in verse 34. He tells us what Jesus is feeling. What he's feeling. The incarnate God, God in the flesh, had holy and righteous emotions. He's feeling something when he sees these people like sheep without a shepherd. He sees this multitude about to disrupt their restful retreat, but what's he do? He doesn't ignore them. He doesn't say, go to the other side of the lake now. He doesn't try to, to figure out a way to get them to go away. What did he do? What did he feel? Well, Mark tells us when he saw this crowd, he had compassion on them. It's a very interesting word, compassion here. It's something down deep in your gut. He felt moved. He felt emotionally and inwardly moved in his heart, we call it, toward these people. Now, the very fact that Jesus says, They were like sheep without a shepherd. That's a very tender, tender phrase, right? Especially from the the sheep's perspective. But that's not just a tender phrase. That's a sharp criticism of the spiritual leadership of Israel at the time. There were many Pharisees and Sadducees, priests. He's saying these people have no one. They had a king, Herod, who was unrighteous in every way. They had no one to shepherd them. And when Jesus sees them... His heart goes out to them. And here's what I want you to see when you read this, something like this. I want you to see the full theological beauty of Mark's statement here about Jesus' compassion. Because this compassion, this compassion is meant to reveal something to us about the good shepherd's care that was promised to us in the Old Testament. This is the only Old Testament text I'm going to take you to this morning. But go to Ezekiel. This is what this compassion is picturing here. This very promise that was given in Ezekiel about the good shepherd to come. The good shepherd who would be God himself. Ezekiel 34 verse 5. So they were scattered because they had no shepherd. They became food for all the wild beasts. It's almost as if Jesus had that verse in mind. All the wild beasts being those who were supposed to be spiritual leaders in Israel at the time. He says, my sheep were scattered. They wandered all over the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Wow. But the good shepherd came to do just that, didn't he? To seek and to save that which was lost. Look on down to verse 11. 
For thus says the Lord God, behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. That's a glorious text. Verse 12, as a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on the day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and I will bring them into their own land and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, rather ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture and on a mountain heights on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they will lie down in good grazing land and on rich pasture. They shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd for my sheep and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord. And then verse 23, and I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant, David. He shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. Well, the greater David is here in Mark 6. The God who promised has fulfilled his promise to us. Jesus shows up as the great shepherd to show compassion for those who are scattered. That's good for us to know. It's good for us to remember that none of us here came to faith in Christ on our own. The good shepherd came after us. You and I were that one lost sheep that he searched out. He left the 99 to come after you and he brought you in. Now, go back to Mark 6. Again, think about the reaction of Jesus here. Think about the the needy people there. Think about the relentless, intrusive crowd among them at this moment. They're on the shore. They're ready to get off the boat. And all of a sudden, they're met with all these needy and desperate and zealots. All these people are there, right? And think about how he acts, how he reacts. That should make you immediately think about how he's unlike us. He's unlike me in this. When Jesus gets off this boat, he isn't annoyed. He isn't irritated by the crowd before him. He didn't see these people as intruders on this much needed break from ministry. No, it's not what it says. It says he had compassion on them. That is so convicting to me. There are times in ministry when you, you've tried and you've worked and you've labored with someone for so long and then they still didn't quite get it and they just keep on coming back for more and more and you're exhausted, you're depleted of all energy and they keep coming back for more and at some point in your sinful flesh you say enough is enough. But not Jesus. His compassion never ends. We read it this morning. His steadfast love extends into the heavens. He sees our neediness and is willing to hear us when we cry for help. He's never annoyed by us. He's never too busy to help us. He's never bothered by our neediness. Maybe you need to hear that this morning. Maybe you feel that way this morning. Like when you come to Jesus so often with your needs and your problems, you think he just probably doesn't have time. He's probably not able to really even take me into consideration, considering I do this all the time. But no, that's not what he says. Ask, seek, knock. He will answer. He's the good shepherd. He's never bothered by you or by me. when we come to him in our neediness asking for grace. He has more compassion to give than we could ever ask for. 
So take heart if you feel that way when you come to Jesus so often with your needs. He doesn't get tired of you. He's not like me. He's not like you. He's always ready and willing to care for needy and hungry sheep. His heart for the needy is no different today than it was on that day there on the shore of Galilee. He hears our cries. He's not annoyed. He's always compassionate. He looks upon us with the same kind of tenderness that he looked upon this crowd with, with tender, shepherd-like compassion. And he's willing to do what he did for them in our neediness. He's willing to teach us in our neediness that we can depend on him, that we can look to him for our hope and our help. That's what he does here. Notice what Mark says in verse 34. He immediately begins to teach them. This is how Jesus shows his compassion. In verse 34b, that's exactly what he does. He shows his compassion by immediately teaching them many things. As the good shepherd, he does this for a reason. This is the only way that needy sheep can be nourished and find rest. This is the only way that we can lie down in green pastures and be cared for and comforted in the midst of our troubles. He has to be the one teaching us how to do this. We don't have this capacity in and of ourselves to find peace and rest in this world. You know, what's interesting to me is when you read Mark 6 and you go down toward the end and Mark makes a point of saying that he brings them to sit down in green pastures, in green grass. That is so out of place in Mark's gospel. I don't know if you recognize that or not. Mark is not the guy for details. Mark is the bullet point guy. It's like, here's the big story. Here's what's happening. But he goes to great effort in this passage to say these people were called on by Jesus to sit down in green grass. That's not coincidental. That's intentional by God's design. It's to make us think about this. The good shepherd brought him there. The good shepherd was controlling all the events on that very day. Even that crowd's growing excitement, even that neediness that they had within them, was bringing them to this point so he could teach his disciples a lesson. A lesson that they would need and we would need from here on out. Now, when you read that passage, 34b, it says he taught them many things. Wouldn't you like to know what he taught them? Doesn't that make you curious when you read many things? What things, Jesus? What did you teach? Right? We don't know. We don't know. Right? That's really not Mark's point. Mark's point isn't to tell us what he taught. It's to tell us why he taught what he taught. He had compassion on these people. And the only way to help them, to nourish them, to give them rest, and to teach his disciples this, was to teach them many things from his word. Now, we do know this about what Jesus taught in the Gospels. Right? We know this clearly in Mark. We know that Jesus did teach this. He taught that he had came into this Galilean region to proclaim the gospel of God and say that the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And he says, here's why. The king of the kingdom is here and he's ready to bring you in. He's arrived and I'm him. So Jesus did teach that at some point. He probably taught that during this day. Like I said, he's not mainly there telling us in Mark what he taught, but why he taught this. He taught them these things because this is the only way to nourish these people. He was, he was by showing his compassion this way, he was addressing their greatest need by teaching them about the gospel of the kingdom and the king himself. Now, I've, I've thought about maybe things that he, he taught them, right? 
And I think it's possible that Jesus might have taught them beyond that some other things. The things that I see that are, if you will, underlying all this event and the situation here. I think he might have done here what he did in Luke 24. I think he might have taught them all things concerning himself, beginning from Moses and all the prophets. I think that's likely. You know, it's likely because this wasn't a typical Southern Baptist sermon. He preached all day. Right. It's more like one of our services. He takes them out and he teaches them. Verse 34 says, and he teaches them many things. And he did so for many hours, obviously, until it was dark in a desolate place. Now, this is the problem. Do you see the problem? You see the crisis that's building here? Remember, the disciples haven't eaten yet. They're grouchy. They don't even like the situation they're in. They're hungry. These people are needy. Jesus has them there all day preaching at this impromptu meeting where no one was prepared. Nobody brought a pack, you know, packed lunch. They're in a desolate place. There's no easy place to find food. Now, I was pretty hard on the disciples last time I preached. And the reason is I'm more like them than I am Jesus. So I can do that. But I will say this about the apostles here, or the disciples in particular. They may not always be the brightest guys among this crowd, but they do see a crisis coming, right? They are very aware. This, this crowd this crowd is, is not, not going to be content much longer, Jesus. The babies are crying. The kids are hungry. Mom and dad's getting grouchy. There's five to 10,000 people gathered here, including women and children. Um, this isn't a scheduled event. No one's ready for this. Besides that, Jesus, we're hungry, we're weary, we're tired. We see a problem coming. Do you not see it, Jesus? Come on. It's as if they all of a sudden forgot he is the good shepherd who sees the needs of the sheep. In verses 35 to 36, Mark reveals to us (laughs) the disciples' insufficient observations. Look back there with me. 35 and 36. Verse... 35. And when he grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place (laughs) and the hour is late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Do you see what might be lacking in the disciples at this point? They didn't have Jesus' compassion. They didn't seem to be dependent on Jesus at this moment. And they come up with their own highly astute observations here that they don't think Jesus could even do on his own. They come to rescue Jesus basically here and give them, uh, give him rather their all wise counsel in this moment that they, they thought he needed. Come on, Jesus. It's growing late. We're in a desolate place. The hour is late. Come on. Like, like Jesus didn't know this. Like he's been, he's been the guy who hasn't ate either. And he's been teaching, doing all this work. Even John tells us, or other gospel accounts tell us, he's healing people as well. The sun's going down. Do you not think Jesus knows the situation? I mean, he might have noticed. But what they did is they basically came to him in their own self-confidence, their own lack of dependence on him, their own weak faith, their own frustrations and restlessness and weariness. They came to him and said, hey, Jesus, hey, Jesus, just in case you didn't notice, you're unaware, this is a desolate place here, okay? There's no Walmart, there's no grocery stores, it's getting dark, 
These people are hungry. We are too. So, so remember, you sent us out on this mission as your apostles. So now we as apostles come to you in our newfound insight, and we want to share with you some wisdom that we have gained. Get rid of these people. Send them away. Verse 36 is very interesting. It's an imperative. They command the master to send these people away. They command the shepherd to abandon the sheep. This is interesting. And this is the backdrop that we need to know. This is the backdrop that Mark uses to display the brilliance of Jesus, to show us the glory of Jesus' great compassion, not just for the sheep on the shore, but the men in the boat. That compassion drove Jesus to do something very important here to help his disciples learn to rest in him. It led Jesus to take these boys back to school in verses 37 to 40. In 37 to 40, we see Jesus teaching his disciples their humbling limitations, their humbling limitations. Keep in mind, like I said earlier, the whole day was designed by Jesus to teach these men a lesson about resting in him. It starts off that way. Remember, it's Jesus who brought them here to face this now impossible situation, crisis. And and through this crisis, he would then continue to disciple, to teach, to train them and us, by the way, by showing them and us where the true rest of the child of God must be found. The lesson they're going to learn is this. True rest for the child of God can only be found in our dependence on Jesus in anything we do. Jesus knew these disciples needed this lesson at this time to prepare them for the future mission they were going to go out into. I love what John Calvin said on this, his comment on this text. <laughs> There's almost like tongue in cheek here when I read this, right? Having discharged their temporary commission as apostles... They went back to school to make greater advances in learning. Yeah, they did that for sure. They went back to school and Jesus was the master. In verse 37, following the comments by the disciples, Jesus responds. He responds to their counsel and then he takes them to school. Just look at this exchange. When I, when I read this exchange, let me, let me just say this. When I read this exchange here... It makes me shiver, okay? It makes me tremble a little bit. I'm I'm not joking. I mean, even just last night working on this message, I'm going, oh my goodness, I cannot believe these guys respond to Jesus like this. And then I realize I sound just like them. I sound just like them. When Jesus calls me to do things that I don't think I can do, I don't depend on him. I'm looking to all my resources, all my strength, all my things that I can gather around me to make this easy. But Jesus says, no, no, trust in me. But what do these guys do? In verse 36, after they're seeing Jesus' situation here and counseling him, the disciples say to, to Jesus, send these people away. But then what's Jesus do in verse 37? He says, nope, you give them something to eat. Wait a minute, what's going on here? They come to Jesus, send them away, Jesus. Jesus comes back and says, you give them something to eat. You do it. Come on, you're big boys now, go do it. Take care of them. They can't. That's Jesus' point. Now, the disciples were right earlier 
There is a crisis coming. It just arrived right here in this text. You knew it. You give them something to eat. And you would think at this point, you think you at this point would go, whoa, Jesus, I need you to help me. I can't do this. Right. You would just immediately repent. Nope, not them and probably not us. What do they do? They still come back to Jesus with a response. They respond to Jesus' command with sarcasm and arrogance in verse 37b. Here's their response. Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? They're saying, this is crazy, Jesus. We can't do this. 200 denarii would be eight months worth of wages. We don't have this. Even if we did, it wouldn't feed all these people. And this is really... This comes across really sarcastic if you read this text in its context. What did Jesus tell them on their first apostolic mission that they just arrived back from? Well, in verse 8, he says, uh, don't take any cash with you. Remember? Take nothing. No bag, no money. They had no money. It's not like they had that in the purse here waiting to give it out. They didn't have it. They're just coming back with frustration at Jesus' command to do the impossible. You give them something to eat. What? This is ridiculous. This is absolutely impossible for us to do, Jesus. Yep, guys, that's the point. That's the point. Saints, he's going to call you to do things that are impossible for you to do in your own strength and your own resources. So you will depend on him. So you will look to him. You can do nothing in your own strength. Only in his strength can we do anything of eternal value and God honoring. He has to give us the ability to do it. He has to give us the resources to do it. He has to be with us in it for it to be effectual. Don't go out into ministry and mission, whatever you may be doing. Don't go out thinking you have got to do this all in your own strength. You would never say that, but you act like that. You have to depend on Jesus day in and day out. Listen, saints, there's not a Saturday night before I preach. I'm not on my knees before God saying, I can't do this. This is impossible. I can't feed these people these things. I don't even know if I understand it. So what do I have to do? I have to cast myself on Christ. God, help me. God, multiply your compassion and your power through my weakness. As I offer it to you. That's what's happening. Like I said, this, this exchange sounds so much like the exchanges I have with God in my own private time. I often say these same things. Lord, you're commanding me to do something that I am inadequate and insufficient to do. You guys ever feel that way? Now, oh, come on. You ever feel inadequate and insufficient in your role as a husband, as a wife, as a parent, as a student? In your workplace? How about in your role in the church? Do you ever feel like you're inadequate for these things? How about this? Do you ever ever feel inadequate in your calling to fight against sin? To love others? To share the gospel? Do you ever feel you're inadequate to suffer in such a way that will bring Jesus honor? Of course we feel these ways. We are not sufficient in and of ourselves to endure these things, to carry these burdens. We don't have the strength. And that's Jesus' point. You've got to look to me. I will bear your burdens. I will give you strength. I will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory. He will give us what we need. 
So instead of reacting like the disciples, saying, this is impossible, this is ridiculous, we need to be saying, Lord, here's what I got. I got, I got five loaves and two fish. It is not sufficient for the task ahead. All I have is weakness, and I am insufficient for this work that you're calling me in to do, but I trust in you to take what I have and multiply it to magnify your compassion and your power through my weakness. That's what I think God wants us to see here. Listen, when when you get to this point, when you get to the point where you can confess your inadequacy and your insufficiency in what God's calling you to do, you're at the right point. You're finally where God wants you to be. You're humbled and you're dependent. You're dependent on his compassion. You're dependent on his all-sufficient power and grace. You have to be because we aren't adequate for the spiritual tasks that lie ahead of us. And we never will be in our own strength. Here's a, here's a quote I heard this, this week in listening to a sermon on this text that I thought was important. He says, as Christians, we never mature out of dependence. We never mature out of dependence. Why? Because God wants us dependent on him so that he will multiply Jesus' power in and through us. And we will not glory in it ourselves. He will multiply Jesus' compassion and power through us, though he doesn't need us. The disciples weren't needed on that day. Jesus chose to multiply his compassion and power through them in their service. They weren't needed for it, though. But they first had to be emptied of themselves and look to him. They begin to start to do that here in verses 38 to 40. You kind of hope here that they're starting to learn the lesson Jesus is trying to teach them. In a personal way. Look at verses 38 to 40. And he said to them, after they, they said, we don't have enough money, right? How many loaves do you have? I mean, just, just the tenderness of Jesus' response. I mean, listen, I'm a parent. My kids come back at me the way these guys came back at Jesus, and I'm not speaking like this to them. I'm not saying, well, how many loaves do you have? I'm like, get up and go out there and find something, boy. You know, I mean, that's what I'm saying. But look at the difference between Jesus and me, anyway. He says, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. And he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. Now, this is important, I think, that you see some progress with the disciples here, right? I mean, they're like, they did respond. I mean, I think it was a, a kind word, you know, that... You know, kind of sort of turned their heart around and began to like bubble up some kind of like response of we better not backtalk him again. He's being very nice to us and he, he could rebuke us. But remember the situation they're in, right? Jesus has exposed it right now, even in the way he responded back to them and you feed them. Remember the situation and the context. They're physically exhausted. They're spiritually spent. They're in a desolate place. They now recognize they lacked human resources. They lacked Obviously, spiritual compassion. But what did they have? They had Jesus. And they needed Jesus. So you may be lacking all those things in a desolate place, suffering in many ways, physically exhausted, spiritually spent. But do you have Jesus? Because if you have Jesus, he will multiply his compassion and his mercy, his grace through your life when you submit it to him. In verses 38 to 40, I think that starts to happen here in the disciples' lives as they begin to obey him. Maybe they're recalling what just happened to them earlier, that they, in their previous mission, knew that they were under his 
hand of authority and all the work was being done by him through them. They had to be dependent on him for that. Now they're recognizing we need to be dependent on him at this moment, even though we recognize we can't do this. We've got to look to him who can. I mean, this is an amazing event when you think about it, right? At this point in the game, Jesus doesn't need them. As I said earlier, he doesn't need them, but he chooses to work through them to make them a part of his mission. He does the same thing with you and I. He doesn't need us, but he chooses to use us. And first he has to empty us of self-confidence so that we will look to him, so that the work we do would multiply him, his grace, his mission, and not our own praise and glory. I think about the way these guys responded to Jesus, and I think he could have fed this 5,000, this, this group of five to 10,000 people without these men, right? I mean, he could have easily responded to their sarcasm in, earlier in this passage and said, fine, fine. You guys don't care about these people. You don't want to help these people. Fine. I'll, I'll do it. I don't need you guys anyway. And he could have said, behold my glory. Let there be fish. Let there be loaves on the lap of every person in this crowd. I don't need you guys. That's not what he does. He doesn't need you and I to do the work that is needing to be done in this world. But he chooses to use us. What a divine privilege. You are Christ's ambassadors. But you're not going out in your own strength. You're strengthened by the great and compassionate and merciful God-man, Jesus Christ. He is with you in the mission. He didn't need to use them, but he did. He was training them through this, this very moment. He's training them for the plans that he has for them in the future. Through them, understand this, through them, they're going to replicate this miracle a million times over, if you will. Maybe more. Because you and I are part of that replicating miracle. He's going to use these men to write scripture. He's going to use these men and the rest of their lives to use them as fishers of men. To go into the world to multiply his work. To magnify his work. He's going to fill their emptiness when they finally come to that place where they know they must depend on Jesus. He's going to fill their emptiness with his grace and use that to feed multitudes of people the ever-satisfying living word of God. And he did that through them because I think they learned the lesson this day in this desolate place. They recognized this day that they were obviously (laughs) insufficient to do what God had called them to do. They learned that the immediate need at hand was obviously impossible for them to do apart from Jesus. But with Jesus and through Jesus' guiding hand, A miracle takes place. What Jesus is doing, I think, here is very important. He's wanting the disciples to learn an important and wanting us to learn an important lesson. He's wanting them and us to see our insufficiency so that we'll be freshly amazed by his all-sufficient grace and mercy when we see it take place. See, when you begin to rely on yourself in your calling as a parent, as a husband, as a wife, as a student... You, you really don't get to see the glorious work of Christ working through your deficiencies and your, your, your inadequacies. But when you finally recognize, I am nothing but a cracked pot. And if anything glorious comes out of me, I'm not a cracked pot. I'm a cracked pot. If anything glorious comes out of me, it's because of the glory that Jesus has poured into me. These men begin to see that in verses 41 to 44. 
They saw that through the Messiah's divine provision and solution. Divine provision and solution. 40 to 44. They sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. This is that's a very subtle statement there. That sentence. Yeah, by the way, he divided the fish also like to every person there. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 basket baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And all those who ate the loaves were 5000 men. This is interesting because he's teaching them again a lesson here. Jesus, the Messiah, is going to teach them a divine lesson in this situation. His divine provision for them is even seen in the way he teaches this to them. Just just look at the very, very precise way Jesus performs this miracle and the many lessons, I think, that come out of it. First, in, in verse 41a, what's he do? He's teaching. He is the good shepherd. He is the Messiah to come. He's teaching them. He models, he models for them something important here. What's he model? He models dependency. He models dependency for them in this very prayer as he goes to God the Father and gives thanks for this blessing, for this food, what little they had. Next, in, in 41b, he takes their insufficient food, the, the five loaves and two fish, and he uses them as an illustration to show what he can do with that which is insufficient of itself. Then in 41C, he says, maybe now you'll get it. Here it comes. I choose you like those fish, like those pieces of bread. I choose to work through you when you depend on me so that all that's done in my name and all that's done in this very miracle itself will be done directly by his hand. See, everything going on in this event is under the hand of Christ, by the hand of Christ, the Messiah. Look at verse 41. Mark tells us that he broke and gave the bread. How? By his hand. This is interesting. This is kind of nerdy if you're like Greek, okay? I won't get into the details of it precisely, but I'll just tell you this. This miracle, I think, illustrates something about Jesus and being dependent on him by placing yourself under his hand and seeing what he will multiply through your dependence and your weakness as you cast yourself upon him to do the work. The imperfect tense of the verb used here in the breaking of the bread and giving it out, it it pictures continued action to indicate that the bread actually multiplied in the hands of Jesus. And and he continued to give out the broken pieces as there was need. And so that all there were satisfied. They were all satisfied means to be filled, to be completely full, nourished. I just I was thinking about this. I was thinking about this. This is where Nate Carper used to really help me a lot. He came up with really bizarre things to think about. Thought about, are there restrooms in heaven? You know, we're going to eat this, this feast, right? He's worried about bathrooms. I'm like, they'll be clean if they are, right? They're, they're going to be okay. But the, the satisfaction that's mentioned here, obviously he's talking about a physical satisfaction, but it's, it's pointing to a spiritual satisfaction in the feeding of Christ to his people. But imagine this. Jesus takes, I don't know the, the, the law of thermodynamics here, Paul, but he takes... What is broken by the fall, fish and bread, affected by sin, by man's fall. And he hands it out in such a way that it's almost as if, in my mind, I'm thinking, the bread and the fish they're eating, it's unstained by sin. The nourishment they receive from that physical bread and fish would have been so much better than a, the, the best steak you could imagine, the best you know, roll that you could ever eat. It's, it's, it was like, 
completely satisfying, which this just speaks in my mind, in my heart, about Jesus' grace. His grace is like that. His grace is never ending. His grace is fully satisfying. He pours it out on us continually from under his hand, by his hand, giving it to us in abundance. Satisfying the weary and the weak and the needy when they come to him for grace in their time of need. He is there doing that here in this physical way to illustrate what he does for us in a spiritual way. And how did the people react to that? They were satisfied. They were fully nourished. As I conclude all this, look back there at 43 and 44. Remember the guys that needed rest early on? They didn't have any money. They didn't have any resources. What does this great Messiah provide for them? True rest and more resources than they could actually imagine. They took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. So when I read this, that little insert there, verse 43, into this account, it makes me really step back and recognize this, this miracle, though we talk about it as the feeding of the 5,000, it was really the teaching of the twelve. It's mainly done, it's mainly done, I believe, in order to teach these disciples the lessons that he offered to them. To teach them about their insufficiency and his sufficiency in all their labors. The twelve baskets even represent that. He gave them abundantly more than they could ever hope or ask for. Enough to provide for them many days. An abundance of compassion. I mean, what an amazing day this must have been for the disciples, right? Think about it. How did it start off? They come to him, report in what's going on, rejoicing in that, yet weary. And he says, come away with me for rest. And then all of a sudden they show up on the shore and they see this crowd. And what's he do? He begins to teach these people. He begins to teach these people. And so they get to hear Jesus then compassionately teach others about his kingdom and his power and his mercy. And then they get to actually witness all that themselves by being used in this miraculous banquet that they're sent out to serve people in. And, and even though, this is, this is what got me thinking about this last night, even though they didn't deserve this. I mean, think about it. They responded poorly to Jesus. What's he do anyway? Out of his great mercy for them, he uses them. He magnifies himself in them and through them. He's using them to magnify his grace and his power. Because now, finally, at the end of the story, it seems like they have found their true rest. And their true rest was in him. That's what would carry them through their calling as apostles. Church, everything from the desolate setting of this miracle and the disciples' inadequacies, everything here is being used to teach this lesson. It's being used to teach a lesson about dependence on God to fulfill our mission. Jesus brings them to this desolate place. And how desolate was it? Well, it was physically desolate. They were worn out. It was spiritually desolate. They were spiritually spent. And he brings them to this desolate place to even illustrate their very hearts, their very lives. And he does that to show them and show us where our true rest must come from in all of our spiritual work as Christians. It must come from full dependence on Jesus. We must depend on his merciful hand. And like the disciples, we need to learn to do what they did finally at the end. They finally offered up their emptiness to Jesus. They offered him their empty hands. We we have nothing, Jesus. We have nothing to give you. Come to me, you who are weary. I'll give you rest. We need to offer up those empty hands because that's all we have, saints. It's all we have. But what can Jesus do with those hands?
he can fill them. He fills them with his grace. And in doing that, he gives us true rest. We can glorify him by depending on him and watching him work through our weakness. So in light, in light of all that, in light of, in light of our high calling as Christians, as ambassadors for Christ, and in light of our insufficiency, I hope that Mark 6 serves as an encouragement to you today because I think that this miracle here and this lesson here is, is given to us for this very reason. It's given to us as a restful gift from God. Jesus knows that we can't carry the burdens that we have been given. He knows that we can't fulfill our spiritual work apart from him. He knows that we need him. And so he gives us a miracle like this and a lesson like this to the disciples to reveal to us that he is full of compassion and all sufficient. He is Jesus, the son of God, who is our great shepherd, who will guide us, care for us, work through us to magnify his grace and his mercy. That's what this miracle, I think, is ultimately about. So when you feel your insufficiencies in whatever calling you've been given, just remember this. Remember this. That the one who is full of compassion in Mark 6 is able to sufficiently multiply his grace in you when you empty yourself of self-confidence and you trust in him. When you confess your emptiness to him and your dependence on him, he will do amazing things through your brokenness. He will use your insufficient offering as he did here, your offering of weakness And he'll use it to magnify and multiply his compassion and his grace as we are sent out into our mission as his ambassadors. Let's pray and give thanks for that today. Heavenly Father, we want to rejoice in your all-sufficient grace and mercy that we find in Jesus. We look to you, God, to do what we can't do. We trust in you to multiply your power and your mercy through our weakness and our brokenness, that that others would see Jesus as a result of the work that you are doing in us and that we would find rest in our spiritual endeavors. It would no longer be a task to pursue spiritual disciplines, but we would rest in knowing that you will provide us what we need to satisfy us as we look to you in complete dependence. We pray that we would do that in Jesus' name. Amen.